Greetings everyone, this is Abhishek Bhadra, aka AB, and you are listening to the Fibonacci Talks. Everyone has their own way of expression. I believe uh, we all have a lot to say, but finding ways to say it is more than half the battle won. Fibonacci Talks uh, is a very personal journey where I take a baby step to express myself and have meaningful conversations with all of you. Fibonacci Talks is for the people whose spectrum of interest ranges from data, AI, leadership, to science, mathematics, philosophy, and consciousness. Thank you for joining me in this wonderful journey. 300 years before the birth of Christ, there lived a man named Eratosthenes in the metropolitan city of Alexandria in Egypt. He was an astronomer, historian, geographer, philosopher, and a poet. In today's English, one could call him a polymath. Incidentally, he was also the director of the Great Library of Alexandria, where one day he read a book which stated that in the city of Syene, at noon on June 21st, vertical sticks cast no shadows. June 21st is also known as a summer solstice, the longest day of the year. Anyone else would have ignored this fact as a random observation, but Eratosthenes was a scientist and a curiosity chaser. He had the presence of mind to do an experiment to observe whether in Alexandria sticks cast shadows near noon on June 21st. And he observed that the vertical stick actually casts a pronounced shadow. Eratosthenes was amazed. If the earth was flat, at the same moment, the angle of the shadow would be same in two cities 800 kilometers apart. He realized that the only possible hypothesis would be that the surface of the earth was curved. The sun is so far away that its rays are practically parallel to each other when it reaches the earth's surface. Hence, sticks placed at different angles to the sun's rays would cast shadows of different lengths. Now, for the observed difference in the shadow lens, the distance between Alexandria and Syene had to be about 7 degrees along the surface of the earth. 7 degrees is approximately 1 50th of 360 degrees or the full circumference of earth. So, 50 times 800 kilometers, that is the distance between the two cities would be 40,000 kilometers. Or in other words, the circumference of earth is approximately 40,000 kilometers. Amazingly, Eratosthenes was fairly accurate with his approximation.
he measured the circumference of our beloved planet 2,200 years ago using just a stick. And something called first principle reasoning. Welcome back to Fibonacci Talks. In this podcast, we will delve into the stories of some of the greatest minds and explore how they used first principle reasoning to solve complex problems, develop new technologies and push the boundaries of human knowledge. We will also examine how first principle reasoning can be applied in building reusable and composable data-led products. What is first principle reasoning? First principle reasoning is the process of breaking down complex problems into their most basic and fundamental elements and then using logic and reasoning to build solutions from the ground up. It's a method that allows for a deep understanding of a problem and can often lead to breakthrough insights and innovation. Throughout history, the most innovative and revolutionary thinkers have used first principle thinking to challenge existing assumptions and create new and transformative technologies. From Archimedes to Sir Isaac Newton, from Thomas Edison to Elon Musk, the power of first principle reasoning has been harnessed to drive progress and change the world time and again. The ancient Greeks are considered to be some of the earliest practitioners of first principle reasoning. In fact, some of the notable practitioners of first principle reasoning used to be neighbors in the ancient metropolis of Alexandria. Like Aristotle, who was one of the most influential philosophers in history and frequently used first principle reasoning to develop his theories on logic, metaphysics and ethics. He believed that knowledge could be derived from observation and logical reasoning and he emphasized the importance of understanding the fundamental principles of a subject before attempting to make more complex inferences. We've all been indoctrinated with Euclidean geometry in our school. Euclid was another notable first principle thinker and Alexandria resident who used his methods to develop his impeccable system of geometry. There are other examples as well like the Thales of Miletus, Pythagoras, Herophilus, Heron or Archimedes, Apollonius of Perga. Overall, the ancient Greeks used first principle reasoning to make significant contributions in many fields. They emphasized the importance of understanding the basic principles of a subject before attempting to make more complex inferences. And this approach led to many groundbreaking discoveries and innovations. There are quite a few examples 
from the last 100 years as well. Like James Clark Maxwell, who is known for his work in electromagnetism and his development of Maxwell's equations. Like Albert Einstein, who used first principle reasoning to question the fundamental assumptions of classical physics, which eventually led to a revolutionary new understanding of space, time and gravity. Like Marie Curie, who developed new methods for isolating and studying radioactive elements. Or like Richard Feynman, who altered our understanding of the interaction between light and matter along with the nature of waves and particles. Now let's talk about one of the most polarizing figures of our generation who is also a known practitioner of first principle reasoning, Elon Musk. Unless you are living under the rock, Elon Musk is an innovator and a serial entrepreneur who is best known as a chief executive of innovative companies like SpaceX, Tesla, SolarCity, Neuralink, Boring Company, and now Twitter. He has evidently used first principle reasoning to solve complex engineering problems in all his endeavors. The most notable and famous amongst them is to lower the cost of battery manufacturing from $600 per kilowatt hour to $80 per kilowatt hour. But I personally find SpaceX to be his most intriguing ventures. And let me explain why. First of all, borrowing Simon Sinek's framework here, starting with the why, the existential reason for SpaceX is to make human beings a multi-planetary species. In fact, let me read the verbatim mission statement from SpaceX's website. It says, and I quote, The mission is to revolutionize space technology with the ultimate goal of enabling people to live on other planets. And how does he intend to achieve that goal? The answer is simple. By significantly reducing the dollar cost per ton of payload of space transportation. And lastly, what is the outcome of that? In the last 20 years, SpaceX has built multiple state-of-the-art rockets starting from the Falcon 9 to the Falcon Heavy and conducted multiple orbital space missions which has exponentially reduced the dollar cost per ton of payload of space transportation. In fact, very soon they will be launching the Starship with astronauts, which can not only carry 150 tons of orbital payload, but has a fully reusable booster system which can potentially bring down the cost of the rockets to less than $10 million. Now let's unpack this a little bit more. First, the economics of it. Between 1970 and 2000, 
the cost to launch a kilogram to space remained fairly steady with an average of 18,500 US dollars per kilogram. When the space shuttle was in operation, it could launch a payload of 27,500 kilograms for $1.5 billion or $54,500 per kilogram. For a SpaceX Falcon 9, the rocket used to access International Space Station, the cost is just $2,720 per kilogram. A reduction by a factor of 20. Fascinating. While making several modifications to the fuel and engine, SpaceX's major breakthrough have come through recovering and reusing as much of the rocket and launch vehicle as possible. And how much money does SpaceX save when it reuses a Falcon 9 booster? SpaceX has gradually perfected the technique that helps it to land a Falcon 9 booster after missions. Moving from landing two boosters in 2014 to landing 15 boosters in 2017. However, there's a refurbishment cost of those boosters as well. SpaceX has brought down the refurbishment cost to less than 10% of initial production cost. The concept is classical first principle reasoning. If you can reuse a rocket, you're using resources more efficiently. Just imagine if we had to scrap the engine of our car after every use or replace the rotors, the compressors and the turbine blades of an aircraft engine every time it completes a flight. Now, let's focus on the engineering behind these reusable rockets. Take the example of Falcon 9 which is a two-stage rocket. What are these two stages for? The first stage boosters, nine engines, take care of the liftoff and carry the rocket to an altitude of about 100 kilometers, just on the edge of space. Here, the second stage separates and fires its own single engine to take the payload into orbit. The first stage returns to Earth and can be reused if the landing is a success. How do they achieve the high precision landing? Once again, it's a multivariate problem and SpaceX uses first principle reasoning combined with tech innovations to solve it. To begin, the flipping of the rocket just after the separation from the second stage is achieved using small nitrogen thrusters near its nose. After it flips over, three of its engines reignite, slowing the rocket's re-entry velocity. These engines fire again as the rocket nears the landing platform. Altogether, the first stage slows from its top speed of 4,700 kilometers per hour to a landing speed of just 20 kilometers per hour. For stability, the 
Merlin 1 engines of Falcon 9 are rearranged in what SpaceX calls an octaweb configuration. That is one engine in the middle surrounded by eight of them to control its angle of thrust, prevent any roll and position it for a successful landing. Heat resistant grid fins which looks like tennis rackets are used after the separation from the second stage to steer the boosters towards the landing pad. However, the heart of the Falcon 9 stage 1 booster is the algorithm that resides on its onboard computer. It's connected to at least a dozen sensors which feeds the information on the booster's orientation, position, velocity, acceleration, altitude. This information gets processed and the algorithm then sends out actuating signals to all the control devices to ensure a smooth landing. Lastly, four landing legs are used just before landing as a shock absorbing system to cushion the force of impact. It's also important to talk about the wide range of advanced composites that are used to build the stage or stages of the Falcon 9. These composites are specially designed to enhance reliability and dramatically reduce the cost of production. Talking about these composites which were literally invented and designed to suit the needs of Falcon 9 would probably take another episode of Curious Conversations. Hence, we'll skip it for now. So love him or hate him, one cannot ignore the fact that Elon Musk's approach to engineering, driven by his use of first principle reasoning, has indeed helped him to revolutionize space transport. Now let's talk about a subject which is empirically close to my heart. In fact, that's not true. It's empirically close to the neocortex of my brain because the heart is nothing but a hollow muscular organ which pumps blood through contraction and dilation. And contrary to our popular beliefs, it doesn't really have any special proximity to any people, things, or concept. All right, jokes apart, I am passionate about building data products or data-led products. That's what I do and uh, that's what keeps the lights on in my household. I've also been fortunate to work with a bunch of great engineers and first principle thinkers whose sole objective function is to build and ship out these data-led products at a fast-paced cadence. Let's unpack this using the first principle reasoning. A data product. What is a data product? A data product is a software application or a service that delivers value to users through the use of data. A data product is built around the collection, transformation, analysis, and interpretation of data. It is designed to provide insights or make actuating decisions based on the informational landscape it creates. A real-world example would be Netflix. Netflix uses 
data and information landscape to track user behaviors just which shows they watch how long do they watch those shows and when do they pause or stop watching this data is then harvested to drive decisions such as what content to produce how to personalize recommendations and how to optimize the user experience in fact data products are nearly ubiquitous in our day-to-day -day lives starting from our shopping applications to the cab hailing applications they have augmented our lives and amplified the life experience by at least a factor of 100 chat gpt is a data product which will soon be omnipresent in every aspect of our profession and daily life now let's talk about some of the enterprise use cases of data products once again the objective function here is to augment these data products in driving essential business processes and operations in enterprises and bridge the digital divide by not treating these products as mere widgets but embedding them in day-to-day -day workflows and processes for example a neural net can accurately predict the demand of a consumer product using features extracted from multimodal data sources including social media or google searches for similar products the same demand vector can be then used to set and optimize the price of the product dynamically using an algorithm price can be one of the variables along with other promotion attributes and features to determine the optimum spend on a campaign and identify the right channel for that specific campaign the promotion data can be used for designing hyper personalized campaigns and push a set of products through contact centers the contact center data can be used to measure the sentiment of the customer and take real-time actions to prevent churn or elevate customer lifetime value the possibilities are endless and this is just the tip of the iceberg now let's understand the end-to-end -end data supply chain ecosystem imagine an actual supply chain system it involves a series of interconnected activities that are aimed at bringing a product from its initial stages of sourcing to the point of consumption the first step of any supply chain process involves finding and sourcing the right set of raw materials needed to create the final product similarly for building a data product we identify the data sources such as the transactional systems or third-party syndicates and devise a mechanism to programmatically ingest the raw data from these source systems to a storage facility which can be called a data lake or a data warehouse depending on the characteristics of the data 
In real-life manufacturing, the production step begins post the sourcing of the raw materials. For example, if you are manufacturing t-shirts, the production process would involve cutting the fabric, sewing it together and adding necessary embellishments like buttons or logos. On similar lines for a data-led product, post the ingestion, the raw data gets peeled, sliced, boiled, cut, proportionally mixed, enriched with embellishments and eventually cooked using algorithms to make it ready for consumption or actuation. In the real world, the finished products get shipped to either intermediaries or retailers or to an e-commerce platform for consumption. Similarly, in the world of data products, small packs of inferences and insights gets created for the consumption of end users. And that's how the data supply chain works. So to summarize, a data product is an interconnected system which ingests a steady stream of raw information collected from various sources, transforms processes and stores the information, derives inference packets from that information landscape using algorithms built on fundamental principles of mathematics and statistics, and serves this inference packets enriched with embellishments for consumption to the user. Now, the larger question is, how do we create a repeatable process to reduce the variability of these inference packets and how do we make this framework fungible and reusable to build a wide spectrum of products? Let me use the manufacturing analogy once again. So just imagine using the engineering artifacts from the production floor of Tesla Model X to efficiently design and produce the Tesla Cybertruck. The secret sauce is creating a bundled set of codes or accelerators which would become the center of gravity of the data product. What are these accelerators? Few examples would be the code base for ingesting the data from source systems or the code base for optimizing the cost function of the machine learning algorithm or the charts and objects used in the visual consumption layer of the product. The demand for scalable data products will exponentially increase in the next few years and the only way to meet that demand would be using these reusable artifacts and accelerators to continuously repurpose and re-engineer and re-innovate the existing data products. Thankfully, the computing power will also increase by a factor of 10 every year to support such use cases. Now let's think about the benefits of reusability. Number one, you don't really have to solve the same problems twice. Number two, development and deployment time is significantly condensed. Number three, due to reduced development and deployment time frame, the 
economics are positively skewed. Number four, and the last point is faster deployment also leads to faster data to insights to action. Building data products is not rocket science. It does not involve exotic materials like Inconel, which needs to be sourced from specialized suppliers. Neither does it require a complex design of a cooling system to prevent the combustion chamber from melting at 3500 Kelvin. However, it might become rocket science if we don't break down the elements of the solution into its fundamental building blocks using first principle reasoning. You'll notice that I have carefully stayed away from using names of cloud platforms or frameworks or tools or algorithms primarily because first principle reasoning is all about the simplicity of the concept and the fluid nature of the solution. Platforms will evolve, technology will evolve, tools and scripts will evolve, but the fundamental concepts will be etched on stone till another first principle thinker invades and disrupts the concept. Einstein's theory of special relativity disrupted the concepts of classical Newtonian physics. Henry Ford disrupted the transportation system and, of course, the mass production system. Alan Turing disrupted computing. Jeffrey Hinton disrupted algorithms using the neural net architecture and backpropagation. Elon Musk disrupted space travel using reusable rockets. First principle reasoning has stood the test of time for more than 2000 years. From astronomy to quantum physics to data products, first principle reasoning is probably the single most effective framework that humankind has ever devised. Let's keep chasing curiosity together. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode and for that, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hope you enjoyed this new episode and if you did, please subscribe to Fibonacci Talks and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please also share this episode with others who might be interested in these conversations. See you on the other side. Stay curious.